This episode is brought to you by the Grace Enough podcast, where host Amber Cullum and her guests delve into hard truths and the unwavering grace of God while journeying in the kingdom of God here on earth. Listen every week at graceenoughpodcast.com or on your favorite listening app. Welcome to the Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Well, welcome. I'm Bill Hendricks, the Executive Director for Christian Leadership at the Hendricks Center, and it's my privilege to have you join us here on the Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. And I'm going to narrow down the specific audience that we're targeting with this uh, particular podcast. You're a Christian, you're a woman, and you're in the workplace. And the question is, what do you do when your coworkers are not Christians and all your Christian friends are not in the workplace? To help us begin to answer that question, we have Diane Pattison with us, who is the founder and executive director for an organization called Four Word. And just to check the boxes here, Diane, uh, you are Harvard MBA. You have been an executive with uh, three rather prominent names in the, the corporate world, CBRE, CB Richard Ellis, uh, Prologis, and Trammell Crow. You are married, you have four children and one grandchild, and you are passionate about following Christ. And in the interest of full disclosure, uh, Diane is also an advisory board member with the Hendricks Center. I want to welcome you today, Diane. We've been talking about doing this podcast for a while. I'm so glad we're finally getting to do it. Thank you, Bill. I'm honored to be here, and I know we're going to have fun. Yeah, absolutely. So before we get into full word, I'm just curious. I think you describe yourself uh, in your book as a farm girl. So how did you get from sort of middle – heartland of America to uh, the corporate suite. Walk that journey for us. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, You know, growing up on a farm and really never leaving the state of Oregon, um, I went to Oregon State University, Hmm. and this thread will run throughout, I'm sure, the time that we talked. together today, but it was um, having some trusted advisors, if Mm -hmm. you will, um, alongside me in college, that when I uh, told my dad, I really can't come home this summer and be your right-hand man, if you will, on the farm. I need to do what I've been studying to do. And I did that, and I decided, you know what? I really don't like this part of the fashion industry, um, but I love the business side. So I came back to my trusted advisors, John and Dan, and said, you know, what do I do? And they said, you need to apply to Harvard Business School. And I just said, okay. Wow. And I applied, and that took me from Oregon to Boston. Right. <laughs> so you just never know what God has planned, and you just follow those advisors. Had you thought about the business world for a long time? Well, I grew up in a family business. So, okay, yeah. you know, I was used to business. Um, 
I had never thought that my degree would be specifically business because I was thinking the fashion merchandising side. So I knew it wasn't going to be the design. It was going to be more the business side. Right. But I never thought about Harvard Business School until my friends told me I need to apply. Well, it's a dangerous question. Of course, I did Harvard undergraduate, not the, not the MBA program. But uh, uh, how was your experience there? It was great. I'll tell you, um, some of my dearest friends are those that I made, and I yeah. actually serve on the Harvard Business School Christian Fellowship Alumni well, Association Board. That's so fantastic. I'm still involved. Well, excellent. So, in in four word, you're you're bringing together at least two, probably more, of my favorite life theme uh, topics. One is the integration of faith and work. And the other is mentoring, and you're trying to help women, as you put it, navigate faith, family, career. Okay, so faith, family, career, help us understand what's the dynamic that you're at with those three, particularly for, as it relates to women. Yeah. Well, um, I was just researching some t statistics I shared when I um, had founded Forward that have even gone much higher than they were about – uh, 10 years ago. But, you know, women are 66% of the care, they do 66% of the caregiving today. And that was done by a organization that's mm -hmm. all around caregiving. Um, they are now 54% uh, in a household, 54%, they're the primary breadwinner. Wow. So, so they've got this, this uh, career side, they've got the caregiving side. It's like double load there. Right. And then, of course, um, those that care about their faith, which just even rough statistics, women, 70 to 80% of women say faith is important to them. Hmm. So, you know, intersecting those three things was what Forward was founded to be about to really help women around all parts of their life and really their whole life. And you, I guess from the early, maybe from the beginning, you, you particularly went in the direction of mentoring. Is that right? Yes. Which I love. Right. How did you How did you realize that was such a key part? Right. Um, well, at Trammell Crow and CBRE, uh, we, I was very focused with our executive team of making sure we brought women into the industry hmm. and also people of color. And one of the ways that we felt like we could really make that happen better was to have, we called it a rising star mentor program where they had mentors that were executives in the company. And that we found that to be very successful in bringing in and keeping and providing um, progress in their careers. I also uh, helped implement a mentoring program in the national organization called Commercial Real Estate Women. Okay. And we did that three years, and that was really successful. So when I started Forward in 2011, I knew it was going to be really important. I didn't know exactly when we were going to start it mm -hmm. because I needed to get the organization off the ground. Um, but in summer of 2013, we started our mentor program, and we are just 
grateful today to say that 650 pairs have gone through our 10-week wow. mentor program and just the results of what the outcomes are are life-changing. Tell me a little bit more about those results. Yeah. Like what have some of the stories you've seen? Well, we I'll, I'll share some <coughs> stories, but first I'll share the four key things. Okay. We, ha- we hired a third-party research firm to uh, really uh, – be able to summarize the key outcomes. And they, from a faith perspective, women increase their use of biblical principles in decision-making at work. Mm. So that was one. Uh, Around relationships, they deepened relationships at work and outside of work. The third, around their work, they aligned their priorities with their aspirations. Mm. And then the fourth, which is ties in with the mission of Forward, is they grew in their confidence. And our mission statement is to help women reach their God-given potential with confidence. Yeah. So, um, but just some amazing <clears throat> stories. Um, we had Liz Bohannon, which some of you may have heard of Liz, who founded Seiko Designs in 2011. And she came to our mentor program in 2016. And her mentor, Julie, um, helped her totally change her uh, distribution model from boutiques to the multi-level marketing where it was like in-home right. parties like you and I yeah. might remember Tupperware. And, yeah. Well, Julie had access to three CEOs of multi-level marketing companies like Origami mm. Al and Beauty Control. And, you know, it just helped Liz totally skip through a lot of mistakes. And now you fast forward to 2020. If Liz wouldn't have changed that business model and she did some other things when COVID hit. Mm. Seiko may not be around today, which Seiko has enabled around 150 women to attend college in Uganda because of that company. Wow. So, you know, that's really from a professional side, but there's some amazing stories from a faith and from a personal side to you. Well, I know anybody who's in business, um, and I think this is all part of the book, in our faith, we would call the sanctification process. If you're in business, uh, your faith's going to get tested because you inevitably face some tough choices. You face some tough circumstances. Um, you have uh, no end of uh, things that are going to cause you to question your competence. Um, and all of those begin to work, and not necessarily in positive ways, on your faith. So you're talking about not being alone in that journey. You're talking about having somebody who's particularly been there and then walking alongside you as you're trying to figure out what to do, right? Right, right. And I was just reading a, a study done by Lean In and McKinsey, and they said that women in general are, you know, care about flexibility and career progression. And when you get to career progression, mentoring is the number one way to help women progress in their career. I can, I can believe that. I can believe that. I know that uh, I do, as you know, a lot of consulting with knowledge workers. And let's face it, you know, the vast majority of, of people in the work world today are knowledge workers. Mm-hmm. And and the, it's interesting that uh, I'd say most of the time when I get approached by somebody 
the kinds of questions they're asking, they always seem to come back to some form of the statement, I don't know what to do here, right? I mean, if it's an information issue, they can go look that up on the internet, right? Right. But it's like, I've got to hire somebody. I'm not exactly sure how to go about that or who to hire. Mm -hmm. I've got to make a decision, and I'm not quite sure how to make that decision. I've got to uh, bring in some change in my organization, and I'm not exactly sure how to do that. So if you've got a trusted uh, advisor, a confidant, mentor, that just gives you a huge advantage, not because they have all the answers, but because they can say, well – you know, it's okay that you don't know what to do here because, frankly, nobody's ever faced this exact circumstance before because you're unique and this circumstance is unique. So this is the first time anybody's faced. But others have faced similar circumstances. Let's think about what they've done and see if we can learn from them. Mm-hmm. Um, as I put myself in, my sh- in your shoes, I-, I would think about asking these kinds of questions. And here's some resources you might want to check out. Armed with that, why don't you go kind of think through what you're going to do, but I'll walk with you in this, and we'll see what we, what happens and what we can learn from it. Exactly. Is that, is that basically what these – Exactly. We, we see our mentors. You have th- three key roles. Um, you're there to listen, hmm. provide options, hmm. and help the mentee with their blind spots. Hmm. Yeah, I'll talk more about those blind spots – there's always part of us that we live inside our skin and we can't see. Yeah. Well, you're an expert in this. I'll tell you. I'll give you one example that I even learned this week. So um, I'm just such a believer in strength finders and right. really Good. understanding your strengths and where you're gifted and, and putting yourself in a place where your gifts are used well and looking at others as a place to use their gifts well. So we were blessed to be on Fox 4 on Saturday. Right. And my uh, COO said, hey, Diane, there's this Fox 4 interview. And I said, let's have Heidi do the interview. And she said, OK. And I'll tell you what, because Heidi is so great on the camera and just a great communicator. The, the response we've gotten from Heidi being on that Fox 4, and I have the ability then, because it wasn't me, to say, look at what amazing Heidi did. Right. You know, it just showed me you made the right decision <laughs> to not, you know, use your strengths, which are not as great as Heidi's in that situation. <laughs> I hope you're not telling me, oh, Bill, you should have had Heidi here today, not me. (laughs) Well, you may want to have Heidi sometime. She's great. (laughs) No, but what a great thing that you uh, were able to to elevate the strengths of somebody else that you don't have to feel like you got to do everything. Yeah. Yeah, that's a huge part, right, of delegation. I mean, we even saw that in Moses' case, that he had to learn to delegate. Um. You you mentioned this. I, I love this phrase. Uh, you know, helping women in the workplace reach their God-given potential with confidence. Say more about that confidence piece because that's not the first time I've heard. One of the things many women particularly need is something to build their confidence. Tell, mm-hmm. tell me more about that. <clears throat> uh, that came up all the time in the corporate world for me. Uh, and I'll give you a specific story. So uh, when I was with Trammell Crow, our largest client was Bank of America. 
And it was time for me to change out our account team. It wasn't because they were doing a bad job, but we needed new energy, new mm. ideas. And so we put the account manager and the assistant account manager's you know, job descriptions out for people to apply. And I looked at the applications that came in, and I realized no woman has applied. Hmm. Well, my second largest account was run by a woman. So I went to her, and her, her name's Lisa, and she's given me permission to share this story. So I said, Lisa, why are you not applying? You're doing a great job running American Express. She looked at me sincerely and said, Diane, do you really think I could do that job? Hmm. And I said, absolutely. Well, she went on to apply. She became the deputy alliance director. I mean, she's fantastic. But I saw it a lot. And there were a lot of times I needed to really prompt women who would typically hold back, um, and they did an amazing job. So where do you think that comes from? Is that a socialization thing? Or, you know, have we educated uh, girls to grow up and think that, oh, I could never do that? I, that's a great question. I wish I was a psychologist in that whole area. Um, I do think a little bit of it is that. Um, I, I'll, I'll tell you, this was a great story. We just did a podcast on February 9th with Lori Jo Brown, who's an executive with American Express. And, you know, she grew up in the Bronx. She um, did the best she could with the resources she had. She right. was going to school at the same time. And she said she was just blessed to become an executive assistant at American Express. Well, there was a gentleman at American Express that asked her, would you be my executive assistant for a year? And I guarantee you, I will have the opportunity to promote you into a position. Mm. And, you know, she talked about this. Even to this day, you know, she says that man is still my mentor. Hmm. So I think think um, it may be partly socialization. It may be partly that we have a tendency to help those that look like us. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. um, the fact that this gentleman took the interest in Lori and uh, Lori's a woman of color, and you know she yeah. is just doing an amazing job. She's one of my board members now, which I'm so honored to have her on our board. So, um, you know, I don't know where it all comes from. I know I was so blessed because when people say, "How do you how do you get the confidence you have?" Um, I woke up every, every day with my mom saying to me, "You can be president of the United States if you want to be," and then my dad just put me in. Big roles as a teenager. Gave you a lot of responsibility. Gave me tons of responsibility. So, you know. Well, if, that was wonderful. Yeah. So if you see my strength finders, self-assured is one of my <laughs> strength finders, which I, I wish I could help more women have that. That's one of our goals of Forward. Yeah, I can see that. You know, honestly, Diane, I think uh, when we talk about confidence, I, I believe that there actually is a spiritual dimension to that. Because it's really a sense of your own worth and what you believe you're capable of. And I think it would be, again, in the same slogan, you know, re women reaching their God-given potential, which, as you know, my whole specialization is on people's giftedness, their strengths, what they're born to do. And so God-given potential, it absolutely is God-given to His glory. 
We're made in his image, and each person he's made uniquely to make a contribution to the world. But so many people that I've run into, they lack confidence in their strengths, or they don't know what their strengths really are. Mm -hmm. But even when they do, they devalue them. And I think there's a spiritual dimension in the sense that, frankly, I think we have an enemy of our soul who does not want to see that potential realized. Mm -hmm. So I hear these stories about these women and celebrate the ones who, thanks to mentoring, thanks to the Holy Spirit, you know, working in their hearts and and opening up doors of opportunity. But I think of all the women out there that are, if I could put it this way, they are they are underperforming and therefore under um, fulfilling what their real potential is. Right, right. And yeah. so what you're doing is helping to unleash the captives, if you will. Right. In many ways. Well, I and I just see there's so many great examples that we have in the Bible. I mean, you yeah, look at right. Lydia, right? right? She was a she was a cloth merchant. You know, Paul came to her, converted her. She was in a situation which was very risky. Mm -hmm. You know, she started a church in her house, but she had this confidence and what she was doing was using her giftedness business-wise to really grow God's kingdom yep. and had such an impact. And so you just multiply that. If we could have millions of Lydia's, you know, what would that do? Well, the way to get millions of Lydia's is that we need hundreds of thousands of mentors, right? Right. And so let's just jump to the other side of that equation. We've talked about a lot of the women that have been mentored. Uh, I can imagine you've run into what I've run into when I start to talk with people about mentoring, and they're like, oh, I, I could never do that. I'm not smart enough. I, I've made so many mistakes. I, you know, I'm too old, all, all those kinds of things. What do you do to kind of get past that and say, oh, no, you're the perfect person? Yeah, you're absolutely right. <laughs> And we are so blessed. We have about 225 mentors in our pool. And one of the things we did was we set it up as a 10-week program so that there was a beginning and an end. Mm -hmm. um, and we laid out clearly the expectations and a framework. They don't have to follow the framework perfectly if they need to veer off one way or the other, but there's framework there so they feel like they... It's not all on them to make it work. Right. They've got a, a game plan. To work They've with. got a game plan. And, you know, we say in this 10 weeks, we need you to meet with a mentee seven times. And so they know it's a seven-hour commitment. So all of a sudden, the whole excuse is around, I don't have time. Right. You know, that goes away. Mm -hmm. And then... To the second area, which you alluded to, is, you know, I've made mistakes. I, I, I couldn't do that. I'm not that great at it. We have women that do it one time, and they get hooked. <laughs> they realize, wow. I can do this. God really used me in this situation. Yeah. And um, well, I – We're back to that confidence issue. Yeah. Oh, it, I guess I can do this. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you do to resource your mentors, kind of keep them – and in the game. Yeah. So uh, my manager of the mentor program, her name is Trina Lee, 
And um, so we have this framework around, you know, what's your values, your personal vision statement, what are your goals around relational, professional, and spiritual, and then what's your action plan around all those. Um, So that's kind of a real simple description of our framework. But then every week, um, Trina is sending out, you know, the latest articles or the latest... Best practice. Yeah. What um, and she just encourages them every week. Yeah, and uh, we have an opening call with just the mentors and just the mentees to kind of train them and share expectations. And then at the end, we have a closing call where the mentors and mentees share, you know, what did I learn or what was the biggest impact? And on those calls, we, we always say, Yeah. We, we had one that broke down in tears again. So, you know, you just see these stories, and I think that just encourages them to just keep doing it because they see the impact. So here's a double-sided question for you personally and professionally. Um, this episode is brought to you by the Grace Enough podcast. I am its host, Amber Cullum. Each week, I sit down with a guest to discuss hard truths and the unwavering grace of God they've experienced while journeying in God's kingdom here on earth. You'll hear from guests like Jen Wilkin, Jamie Ivey, Andy Crouch, and Scott McKnight. Listen to these conversations and more by searching Grace Enough Podcast on your favorite listening app or by visiting graceenoughpodcast.com. What do you most appreciate about the people who've been mentors in your life? And what has been the highlight for you, the best thing for you about mentoring other Oh, that's a great question. Um, Boy, I've had some amazing mentors, you know, from my mom and dad to Dan and John that I mentioned at college, and they also were the two that told me you need to go to work for Trammell Crow. Mm -hmm. I mean, so they're still in my life today. Um, So I would just say probably all of them have just been willing to share resources or Mm -hmm. share ideas that maybe I didn't think about. Um, I mean, we. I could even look at one of our our advisory board members said to me today, "Hey, Diane, where where's that Fox Four TV? It should be on your homepage." I'm like, Jason, great idea, thank you. It was so obvious. So you know, I just learn all the time from these trusted advisors, and they're just, and then they become just dear trusted friends Mm -hmm. too, which is so wonderful. I think of Don Williams, CEO of Trammell mm-hmm. Crow, was my yep. mentor. And, yep. you know, Bob Buford at halftime yep. was my um, mentor when I started forward. And then um, when I have the chance to help a mentee, and I'll share one example because this is a, a gentleman. So Lopez Lamont is the last boy of Sudan. Okay. And, uh, I always say he was my warm-up – I was his warm-up act <laughs> at a speaking deal at a Christian uh, conference at Oregon State. And when he finished and told his story, I said, oh, my goodness, Lopez, can <laughs> right. I, like, take you to lunch and learn more about you? It's an amazing story of those guys. Yeah. I mean, so he's he was – Olympian, um, Mm -hmm. still is running, ran Saturday night uh, in Boston. Mm. But, um, you know, we went to lunch, and he started – I said, 
I've heard your story about running and how you escaped from being killed in South Sudan and got right. to Kenya and, you know, got adopted by a family in New York. But like, and I hear about your running goals, but tell me what you're really passionate about. And he said, I just want to give back to those kids in South Sudan. Mm, wow. And I said, do you want some help with that? And yeah. he said, yeah. So by the time we left lunch, I had eight to-dos on my list. <laughs> Help them out. But, you know, I said, you need to you need a start a foundation. Right. You need to write a book. Your story's amazing. Let me talk to my friend, Kevin Jenkins, who heads up World Vision internationally. That was at mm -hmm. the time. Mm -hmm. um, because I think there's something here. And so I called Kevin. He was in London. And I said, hey, Kevin told him the story about Lopez. I said, you have a lot of people serving in South Sudan. You'd love to bring along donors that are tied to professional athletes, right, that you maybe don't have. Right. And Lopez would be able to give back to these kids. And these kids, the key goal is these kids would benefit. Right. So he said, let me, let me get back to you. So he, he got his uh, chief callous officer, Steve Haas, and mm -hmm. I in touch with each other. And all I did was connect Lopez and Steve. Well, seven years later, Team South Sudan, hood to coast, for World Vision has raised $7 million wow. for the kids in South Sudan. There you go. So, you know, you just, right. you just don't know what God's going to do with it. But, you know, you take what he's given you and your you connections and you share with it with others right. and then you let your mentees. And so, you know, I just tell you, Lopez just treats me like him, you know, his his little buddy and he's like a gold medal, you know, Olympian. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, you know, one thought that occurs to me with that story, Diane, is I know that many people, the excuse that they sort of give for not having a mentor is they say, I don't know how to find one, Okay. And the wonderful thing about Diane and Forward is they've they've taken that problem off the table. Uh, if you're a woman, uh, you can go to four. That's the the numeral four, like four wordwomen.org, fourwordwomen.org, and they can basically they have a form you can raise your hand and say, "I'm looking for a mentor." Right. And you, you have a process of pairing them up with somebody that'll be a good fit. And so they don't have to, like, you know, gin up the courage to, to go. I got to go have a hard conversation with somebody and please, would you mentor me? And, that, you know, all the tension. You've taken all that off the table. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And we do it in <laughs> classes. So we do three classes a year. We just kicked off class 29, and I believe our next deadline is May 7th of 2022, right. and that will be our summer class. Um, and we then Trina receives the mentors available and the mentees applications, and she prayerfully matches them and some of the stories that come out at the end. We never knew those what was going you know when when she did the pairing. So it's you can see God is totally in it. And there's not, I mean, yes, there's these mentoring relationships, but what I'm hearing is there's a broader community that a person is now connected to, both 
physically, but also online. Tell us a little bit about that. Right. So we do our mentor program. Our second thing we do is community groups. Yeah. And um, in 27 locations, we meet now back to -to face-to-face. Some are still Zoom. Um, But what's really amazing through COVID, we changed all of our community groups to Zoom meetings. Our attendance went up 66%. Wow. And, you know, it's because women didn't have to deal with child care issues. (laughs) Right. Traffic. Right. What if I go and I don't really like it? It's a lot easier to hit leave on Zoom than it is to walk into someplace yes, face-to-face. Right. So, And now we've started a global virtual oh, that's uh, community group. So we have women on from the U.K., from from Korea. I'll bet. It's just, that's fantastic. Yeah, and so they're a part of a community, and um, there's some of them that say, I don't even make a hard decision without um, – getting the advice of the women that I've really gotten to build a great relationship with Forward. Yeah. Well, and then and then I'm guessing layered over top of that, if you will, and around that, the advice, but also the, the prayers of other people, right. which is so important. Yeah. You know. Yeah, we start everything in prayer and close it in prayer. Even our team, you know, whatever we're working on this morning, we were working on our COVID protocol for the gala, and we prayed before we started. And, you know, we just want to be sure we're always bringing the Holy Spirit into whatever we're doing. Well, and for a a woman to know that there's this mentor who's praying for me on a daily and weekly basis. Yeah. Like, I'm not alone in this thing. Right. Now, you're... Own background is very much from the corporate world. Is the predominant uh, demographic of women who are part of forward corporate, or is it beyond that? Is it other professions and occupations? Yeah, you know, it's really fun. And I was sharing this a little bit with uh, one of the DTS students I met as I was walking up here, is we have a community group for women in the military. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. We, we have a community group for um C-suite women, because a lot of C-suite women feel very alone, mm-hmm. and they don't know there's other women who are believers who are running companies. Yep. So uh, that's just been amazing. I mean, we've already sold out of our C-level forum this summer, so that's it's fantastic. just amazing what God's doing with it. Um, and we have women that are coming right out of school. Uh, Monica Davy will be sharing her story Um in a couple weeks that talks about, you know, she graduated, she drove to Texas, and she was looking for a job when COVID hit, and then she became a part of our mentor program, Hmm. and what Sophia did to help Monica. So there's Monica who just got out of college. Hmm. Uh, So we have women of all ages, of all professions um, that are involved with Forward. That's great. Well, I must spend some time on the book that you've written, uh, Work, Love, Pray. Um, I was curious how you came about writing that book. What was it that motivated you to write that book? The story behind the story. Yeah, back to mentors. Um, So when I felt God calling me to start a ministry for women in the workplace, and I had done all my homework, I knew – the statistics supported it. Oh, I'll bet you had the business plan nailed. <laughs> I, 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 uh, I wanted to help someone, and there were only three that were 
individual in each city. There was no one that had a vision of global mm. or even across the United States. But, you know, we always wanted to partner. Um, so I thought, okay, I think I'm supposed to do this. And so I went to halftime, and my halftime course at dinner, Bob Buford sat next to me, and he said, you know, tell me what you're thinking. <laughs> and I just shared the story about the statistics and that there were no other marketplace ministries led by women for women beyond one mm-hmm. city. And, you know, he looked at me because he knew Don Williams, so he had yeah. heard about me. And he said, Diane, I know you can build organizations, but you got to write a book. And I looked at him and I said, that will be a total miracle from God, Bob, (laughs) because I hate to write. And he said, would you like me to help you with that? And I said, sure. So he introduced me to the editor of this division of HarperCollins, and she said, I want to do this book. And he introduced me to a ghostwriter. Mm -hmm. That was how it happened. Well, that's wonderful. And how did you know what to put in the book? When Lynn and I sat down, we just started I just started telling my story. There you go. And we just he started saying, Well, gosh, this sounds like it could really address issues of, you know, when you hit hard times or right. this could address what do you do in your childbearing years, you know? And I mean, he was such a talented writer. He knew how to um, put it into a lifelong story, but also have it be um, segmented so it made sense mm-hmm. into different topics. Yeah, sort of the chapters of your life, as right. it were. Right. So it's a life message book. Is is really what it what it is, right? Right. Just. You know, God gives us all a story, right? That's and right. we can use those stories to help others either learn from where we either made bad decisions or hit low times or where we were fortunate and we're blessed. And, um, and God showed up. Yep. Where God showed up. Wow. That, that, um, I'm curious on the backside of that, is there another book that you're just dying to write? <laughs> Do you have another message? I do get asked that question a there. lot. So what we actually did, and and a couple of the professors here at DTS are in it. Sue Edwards oh, is one wonderful. of them. Excellent. But in 2017, Broad Street came to us and said, "We've never done a devotional for women in the workplace, and we mm. want forward to do it." And I said, "You know what? We have a lot of amazing women. I don't want it to be me. I want it to be a." Big group. So we had 188 women. Um, it, this devotional is called Be Refreshed, a mm. year-long devotional for women in the workplace. And um, so I love doing things in collaboration. So it was really great to have all these women oh, yeah. um, give their stories as a part of it. Um, they're very short stories because I was also very focused that these yeah. women are crazy busy. Yeah. and you got- Five minutes. Exactly. At most. It's <laughs> so, got to be something they can down a Starbucks with. Exactly. Um, and then the other thing that I've just been so blessed with is the women that are involved with Forward. So one of the books that I was actually looking at this morning called Working Women of the Bible was written mm-hmm. by Susan mm-hmm. DeMickle. Mm-hmm. And she's one of our sea um, level women out of uh, Columbus, Ohio. Elizabeth Knox wrote a book called Faith Powered Profession, and she's out of Washington, D.C. So I always say when any of our women say they're going to write a book, I always say, hey, if it helps you, 
if you want to use our type style or our little circle or whatever makes sense for you, we'll just partner and, um, you know, we just love to support what you're doing. And so I just find we have so many talented women who have stories to tell that I feel like telling their stories just really adds a lot than me writing another book. <laughs> well, wonderful. And yes, to include them in the in the fun is, is a wonderful thing. Yeah. And it, it sounds like that's really one of the values that you're working with here at Forward is, is that sense of inclusion. Right. Well, I'll tell you, there is no way we could have reached 750,000 women right. in our first 10 years without a huge team effort. So. And, and just to do a little vision casting here, you're, you're by no means saying that's all we're going to do. I, I think I saw a goal, a vision around 2030. You yes. Still have that? Yes. Our big, hairy, audacious goal is to reach 10 million women in the workplace to change the world by 2030. That's fantastic. Well, we'll pray to that end, Diane, and I certainly salute you in that effort. Uh, for so many cultures in the world, uh, women actually are. You mentioned 56, 54, whatever it was, percent breadwinners, primary breadwinners here in the United States. But as you know, for many cultures around the world. Women are really the backbone of the, of the economy, mm-hmm. you know, for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. And so to know that somebody's speaking into that part of their lives, that work part of their lives, out of a context of faith and biblical values is, is fantastic. Well, I just feel really blessed to do what I'm doing today. You can tell I have a little bit of energy behind <laughs> <It's>, it. <laughs> you mentioned a moment ago childbirth, and it reminds me of a question that I wanted to bring up that um, really stems from uh, our team at the Hendricks Center. Uh, each year we'll do a set of readings and a topic that we feel would help us be better at doing the work that we do at the Hendricks Center, cultural engagement kinds of topics. And so a couple of years ago, we did a series of readings on issues that women face uniquely that are off the radar for men, like men never think about them because they don't have to think about them. A lot of them are biologically uh, like pregnancy mm-hmm. or breastfeeding mm-hmm. you know, or menopause mm-hmm. you know, or the menstrual cycle or – Sadly, stillbirths, you know, or right. or, a, or a, a pregnancy that, for one reason or another, terminates. Men don't even think about it. that's like the space behind your head. You don't think about it till somebody points it out. And yet, here you've got all these women doing their work, trying to, you know, be caregivers in their family, um, but they're also dealing with the vicissitudes of life just as a woman. Mm-hmm. And I'm. I'm assuming, I'm guessing, that as much of the workplace issues as you come up with, when women, you know, are facing sort of that that other side of life, the really personal side of life, because it's another woman that they're dealing with, they say, I'm having a bad day. Oh, yeah. well, tell me about that. Is that the Oh, truth? for sure. I would say the personal and spiritual outweighs the professional because mm. – they feel so much like they have someone they can trust. And so they really open up quickly about all areas of their life and what they're dealing with. Yeah. And trust, you know, again, we find our way back to confidence. Mm -hmm. 
if I trust you, then I'm more confident to be vulnerable. Right. And then you're in a position to be useful to me and, you know, all the stuff we talk about in the New Testament of, you know, our, our bonding in Christ and our fellowship in Christ. I mean, that becomes real at that point. Exactly. And I think just tying it too back to you mentioned men versus women, I think that um, that's the one thing that if I could say something that might be helpful to men, especially as we're in this world of the war on talent. Yes. Um, you know, having a very flexible mindset um, so that that woman can deal with the caregiving or uh, the housekeeping uh, mm-hmm. because they do more of that than the man in typical mm-hmm. case. Um, and then also having this grace. You know, I was just really blessed to have uh, one of my my team members, Jordan, like in her fifth year. She's now going into her ninth year of working for Forward. But she wrote me a note, and this was before COVID, and I still carry it in my purse. She said, Diane, I never thought I would have the opportunity to work in a place where I feel like I'm doing what God has called me to do. And at the same time, I'm able to be a good wife and a good mother. Wow. And, you know, that's exactly what I think women need in the workplace. They need places where we're really living out the second greatest commandment, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, love your neighbor as yourself so that, um, you know, if someone has an unexpected event that, you know, that's dealt with in love and um, they're going to be loyal beyond what you can Absolutely. believe when you you do that. Well, if, if that's what she said, I'd like to meet that person's employer because uh, whoever is at the leadership of that organization has obviously set up a culture which is setting the work up for the people doing the work to thrive. Yeah. Right? Which is what we need to be doing as Christians. Right. Uh, any Christian who's in a position of influence, who, who an owner – a CEO or C-level person, you have significant influence over what we call the culture of the organization, mm-hmm. how things operate around here. You just a wonderful opportunity to literally affect the souls of the people doing the work by the way you set up the work, right? Right, for sure. And just looking at results rather than FaceTime. Um, yep. I mean, I can share a great story of my own personally from – Trammell Crow and CBRE. So Mike Lafitte was my boss mm-hmm. for for probably the last eight years I was there. And um, there were two things that, you know, when I thought about coming here today, I thought, you know, I have some real personal examples. Um, I told Mike, you know, my family's my priority beyond my work. And we both share um, mm-hmm. the, the first priority, which is being D- Jesus followers. And I said, so my my travel, I need a limit to one night a week. Well, it was part of my performance plan. So he and I, you know, that was part of my bonus was did I limit myself to one night a week? Wow. And when the opportunity came up to apply to be the head of global sales, I passed let it pass by because I knew it wouldn't wouldn't match with my priorities. Right. And another time, that's all. That's that whole thing you mentioned about you getting your priorities in alignment with your aspirations. Right, right. Another time, uh, this is later. Uh, my son was making some bad decisions, and 
I went to Mike and said, hey, we, we have two options. I can either, like, resign or you can allow me to take a 10-week sabbatical and really focus on my son. Um, and, you know, you don't have to pay me, and I'll be back. And he said, well, of course, we're going to do number two. So, you know, just being in a work environment like that was just amazing. Well, Diane Pettison, I want to thank you for being with us today and telling us about Forward and your work and, and, and your whole team's work. These are this is a wonderful thing you're doing here. And uh, may God bless you in, in this endeavor. Well, thank you. We're all in this together, we are in this right? Together. And um, I love the work of DTS and what you're doing at the well, Hendrick Center, and uh, it's really helped forward. Thank you. Thank you. And if you've enjoyed today's podcast, I would invite you to subscribe on whatever service that you happen to be listening to us on here at the table where we discuss issues of God and culture. Thank you for being with us. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. This episode was brought to you in part by the Lord of Spirits Podcast. Many Christians yearn to break free of the influence of secular materialism and to understand the union of the seen and unseen worlds as made by God. What is the spiritual world like? Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.